This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Good morning. We should have a very exciting show today about a ballot proposal. More about that later. I'll just mention last week we had as our guest Steve Mitchell, who is president of Mitchell Research and Communications, one of the state's top pollsters, and he made some bold predictions. Uh, The first one was that Brett Kavanaugh would be named on last Monday night. We were talking last week, Steve and I, on the air to you. Uh, This is like uh, three days before Donald Trump made the announcement on Monday night. uh, And Steve Mitchell predicted he, uh, meaning the president, would pick Brett Kavanaugh to fill the seat on the Supreme Court that is being vacated by Justice Anthony Kennedy. Um, And, as I think we all know by now, Steve Mitchell was 100% right. Now, the other major prediction Steve Mitchell made, uh, we're going to have to wait a while on this one, is uh, he believes that Donald Trump will shut down the federal government this September in a budget showdown with Congress. Uh, We'll see whether that materializes or not. But uh, on his two big predictions, uh, Steve Mitchell so far is batting uh, 100%, 1,000%. And uh, we'll see whether it's going to continue to be that way or whether it'll be 500% if he's wrong about Trump shutting down the government in September. Um, Let me mention a couple of other things here. Um, I've talked about this very generally previously, but, you know, when people go to vote on August 7th, in many places they're going to find judgeships on the ballot. And a lot of people in Michigan probably aren't even necessarily aware that we elect our judges in Michigan. We are one of 17 states that elect our judges, even if we don't know who they are. And I can talk more about that later. Uh, But there are going to be 250-some judgeships on the ballot this year in some way, shape, or form. And I'm talking about all the way from the Supreme Court through the Court of Appeals, circuit courts in various local jurisdictions, district courts, and probate courts. And Uh, even though these judgeships are going to be on the ballot and the candidates uh, in many cases, in most cases, they're going to be incumbent judges running for re-election, unopposed. They will be unopposed. There won't be anybody else to vote for except the incumbent unless you want to write in a name. Um, Nevertheless, these are required by law and by the Constitution to be printed on the ballot. So you're going to face 250,000 statewide Uh, We're talking about judgeships altogether. That doesn't mean when you go to vote in your local uh, precinct on August 7th, you're going to open the ballot and find 250 judges you've got to elect. No, 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 no. I'm just saying in some cases, maybe there'll be no judgeships on the ballot uh, for you to elect unless maybe it's a court of appeals judge uh, because they covered the entire state uh, between them. Um, But, you will find some judgeships on the ballot uh, only when there is an open judgeship, meaning 
a seat that is vacant, maybe because in Michigan, judges can't run again after they turn age 70. There's a mandatory retirement age, so the seat automatically comes open. Uh, In other cases, uh, there has been a vacancy in the last uh, couple of years, uh, either through death or resignation or for some other reason, and the governor is empowered to appoint somebody to fill the vacancy, and whoever is appointed, in many cases, has to be running for the partial term to which he or she was appointed uh, to fill out the balance of the term. So sometimes those will be on the ballot. So there are a lot of these judgeships that are going to be on the ballot on uh, August 7th. And uh, I'll just mention that uh, the most candidates uh, anywhere in the state are going to be found in what is called the Third Circuit Court in Wayne County. It's the biggest circuit court in the state. Um, In in one particular uh, series of races, and these Judges uh, who are circuit judges now are all running together in a pack. They're all going to be on the ballot if you're living in Detroit in the Third Circuit. Um, there are going to be 16 incumbent judges running for re-election, uh, but they have no opponents. So when you get right down to it, they're probably not going to be on the ballot on August 7th. You'll wait until November, November 6th, then they'll all be on the ballot. But there is uh, an open seat on the Wayne Third Circuit um, that has to be filled, and there are six candidates in that race. That's a separate race from these other 16 judges, the incumbents who are running. There are six candidates running to fill a vacancy on the Third Circuit Court in Wayne County on August 7th. And the way it works in Michigan, the top two finishers on August 7th, top two out of the six in this case will move on to the November 6th general election. So they'll be on the ballot on the November 6th general election ballot. And then people will pick uh, which of the two they want in November. And that person will be elected uh, for the next uh, six years. Um, The the biggest race uh, in Michigan in terms of number of candidates running for open seats is in the seventh circuit uh, court in Genesee County. That's the county that Flint is located in. There are actually two vacant judgeships up there in one particular race, and there are seven candidates running for those two spots. Well, now that means if there are two spots that out of the seven candidates, the top four finishers on August 7th will move ahead to the November 6th general election. And then the voters in Genesee County in the Seventh Circuit will go to the polls and they'll decide, okay, which two out of these four candidates that are left out of the seven that we had back on August 7th, which two out of the four are we going to vote for? And in this case, uh, whoever finishes first is elected and whoever finishes second is elected. And, you know, neither one of them is like diminished. Uh, simply because he or she finished second as opposed to first. They're both elected. So two out of the seven that are going to be on the ballot on August 7th are going to be elected in November, but we've got to winnow the field down to only four uh, on November 6th, 
And that's going to happen on August 7th. So this is the kind of stuff that goes on with judgeships in Michigan. Uh, it's a very interesting scenario we hear. I'll, I'll talk to you more later about uh, judgeships in Michigan and all the details and how hard it is to beat an incumbent in Michigan. Do you know why it's so hard to beat an incumbent judge in Michigan as opposed to, let's say, knocking off a state senator or a state representative or a county commissioner? Why is it so hard to beat a judge in Michigan? Because judge, or for that matter, justice, if you're a member of the Supreme Court, have an incredible advantage at the polls compared to everybody else that you can think of. And that is, they have the name of their office listed on the ballot beneath their name, the so-called incumbency designation. In other words, it'll say, uh, you know, Joe Blow, justice of the Ontonagon probate court beneath his or her name. And, you know, people see that and usually it's magic. And they say, you know, if I haven't heard anything bad about this judge, even if somebody's running against him or her, uh, you know, I'm probably just going to vote for him. So that's what we have with judgeships. But we're going to get to ballot proposals here in a minute and uh, hope to have a guest on who can explain it all for us. Back in a minute. To the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Okay, we're back and uh, we're going to be talking ballot proposals. Now, at this point, believe it or not, here we are in uh, mid July and we only know for sure there's going to be one ballot proposal on the ballot on November 6th, statewide, statewide ballot proposal. And that is recreational marijuana. Should we legalize it or not? But there could be as many as four more proposals, up to a total of five proposals on the ballot November 6th. One of them involves sick leave, mandatory sick leave uh, for employees. Another one involves minimum wage, uh, hiking the minimum wage over a period of time up to $15 an hour. Uh, that could be on the ballot. Uh, also the voters, not politicians ballot proposal, which would take away from the legislature, the power to redraw district lines for Congress and the state legislature, uh, every 10 years after the census and give it to an independent commission that is tied up in the state Supreme Court right now. There are going to be arguments on that next week in the Supreme Court. Um, and then there is a fifth proposal altogether, uh, four more other than recreational marijuana that is still out there waiting to be certified. Uh, and that is what is called promote the vote. And promote the vote 
describes itself as a broad coalition striving to make voting more accessible for all eligible Michiganders through a ballot initiative to amend the Michigan Constitution to provide certain voting rights. And we are very fortunate today to have the campaign director for Promote the Vote, Todd Cook, on the air with us uh, to explain it all for us and uh, how this proposal got launched and where they are right now with their petition signatures that have, as I understand it, just been filed with the Secretary of State. Todd Cook, welcome to the Political Insider. Bill, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, explain to me, where did this idea get started? Who's behind it? Are there groups that are endorsing it or that uh, basically were responsible for gathering the signatures to get this on the ballot? Sure. I, th- I think the coalition is kind of wide-ranging, um, but at the, at the onset, um, you know, a few groups that have been focused on voting rights and making sure that people have access to the ballot were really uh, instrumental and in kind of the driving force behind writing the proposal and, and making sure it got the signatures that we needed to get on the ballot. And that's the League of Women Voters, uh, the ACLU, and the NAACP, and those are groups that for, for decades have, um, you know, talked about uh, participation in our voting process, about being advocates for a good system, and, and they came together and, and started having conversations and uh, decided that uh, this is the best way to kind of make the changes that we need in Michigan to make sure we uh, have every voice that's eligible heard on Election Day and that we have an accurate and... Um, integrity, uh, high integrity system in terms of our election. So did you get started like late last year, maybe, uh, at least organizing, talking this over, deciding whether you wanted to do it? Yeah. So the groups came together, um, uh, at the end, uh, of, of the year towards the beginning of, of January, um, started working on language. Uh, the language had already been drawn up by the time that I had, uh, come on board the, um, the effort back in February or March, actually not February, back in March. So, um, so it was a while, but they moved fairly quickly, honestly, to, to get something going. And then you had to take the language, didn't you, uh, before the Board of State canvassers to get them to fly spec it and decide whether, you know, it looked like it was good to go uh, and that you wouldn't run into some legal or constitutional problems with the petitions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, after it's drawn up, it's presented to the, um, you know, Board of Canvassers for uh, approval to form. Uh, is how the language uh, reads. Um, so that happened, and after that, we started to move forward and, and collect the the signatures that we need to get on the ballot as a constitutional amendment. We need uh, nearly three hundred and sixteen thousand uh, valid signatures from folks across the state to get on the ballot. And uh, on the ninth, on Monday, we turned in uh, four hundred and just over four hundred and thirty-two thousand signatures. Wow! So you got like one hundred and thirty thousand more than you needed, really. Yeah, no, I you always have to be careful because sometimes people um, make mistakes when they sign it. Um, so you always got we always got to collect a few more, but we think that we've um, got a really good uh, validation rate and accuracy rate of, of what got turned in on uh, on Monday. Okay, did you uh, have to hire uh, a petition circulators, pay them? I mean, this is done by many petition drives, or did you do it with an entirely volunteer? Force or was it a combination of the two? So we did a combination. We did a combination um, because we we started a little bit 
later in the process, we wanted to make sure it got on for November, and so we did bring on a firm. Um, the firm that we used uh, has a little bit different system than, than other petition forms. We didn't pay by the signature. We paid people uh, a, a, a wage to go out and, and ask for signatures, and so we think that was a better system to use. But we had uh, you know, tens of thousands of volunteer signatures collected by nearly a 1,000 folks from across the state uh, in the last few months. Okay, so what's the timetable now? I mean, the Board of State Canvassers got your petitions. I mean, you collected uh, over, as you say, 430 or 40,000 signatures. You only needed supposedly 315,000 valid signatures. They've got to go through the Board of State Canvassers, the Elections Division, the Secretary of State, and decide whether you really do have 315,000 valid signatures. As you know, some proposals in the past have come forward with uh, signatures and they think they've got enough to uh, be deemed qualified to be on the ballot. And all of a sudden uh, some opposing group races in and says, Hey, you're double counting here, or these addresses are screwed up or they're forgeries and they start throwing them out. And, and sometimes uh, it happens that a group doesn't qualify. You feel pretty confident you got, 315,000 at least valid. Yeah, we had a very uh, stringent quality control process as, as signatures were turned in. We, we checked them all to make sure that they met the requirements um, needed to be considered by the Secretary of State to be valid. So we feel very strongly uh, that we have more, well over the, the minimum requirement to, to get on the ballot. And right now we're just, um, you know, the Secretary of State's working through their process in about three weeks. Uh, we should know more in terms of um, them. The first step is them uh, pulling a sample in which they uh, collect 500 signatures randomly and then uh, do a quality control check on them to see what that validity rate is. And um, assuming we get the, the, uh, the high enough grade, which we believe we will, we'll move on to the, um, you know, to the next process, which will actually be um, the Board of Canvassers certifying us. But, you know, it is uh, a, a quite a process. We turned in, you said, 432,000, just over 432,000 signatures. They're on 95,000 different petition pages. And so it's quite a, uh, uh, the logistics on the Secretary of State's end is, is, is quite an effort uh, to begin with. But um, they're working through it as judiciously and as quickly as they can. Okay, uh, that is really a good description of, of uh, how you have worked this out so far, and you've obviously been very successful to this point. Um, we're going to come back in a minute because we've got a lot more to talk about here. I mean, Todd, I haven't even given him a chance to explain what this is. I, right, exactly. <laughs> but we're going to do that. We're going to do that in just a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Okay. We're talking to Todd Cook, who is the campaign director of Promote the Vote, which is a ballot proposal that has handed in petitions of a huge number. I mean, we're talking 430,000 or more uh, petition signatures uh, to the Board of State canvassers. And uh, Todd just explained what they've gone through up to this point. I just want to ask one more question until we get into the real guts of the proposal. And that is, 
I want to make it clear that people out there understand this isn't like what they've been hearing about with medical marijuana and some of these other proposals out there, a so-called initiative petition where the thing goes to the legislature first and there are 40 days that the legislature can act. And if they don't act, then it goes on uh, the ballot. Uh, this, this is an amendment to the Constitution, as I understand, uh, what, Article 2, Section 4? Correct. Uh, right into the Constitution, right? So you think you'll know by the middle of next month, maybe, or the late uh, August, for sure, whether it's going to be on the ballot November 6th. Yeah, we believe that'll be the time frame. Um, you know, the one thing about uh, uh, the time in which we filed, uh, we're, we're, we're in queue behind some of the other proposals, but... Um, you know, the Secretary of State is working diligently to meet the statutory deadlines that they have to get people answers in terms of these things. So, we, uh, yeah, we expect uh, mid to late August. Okay, so now, at long last, Todd Cook, explain the proposal. What what exactly will this proposal do if the voters support it with a yes vote on November 6th? Sure. Well, there's there's seven kind of common-sense reforms that are in the proposal, Um it's the to enshrines the right to uh, protect the right to a secret ballot in the Constitution. Um, we ensure that military service members and overseas voters get their ballots in a timely manner. Um, we register citizens to vote at the Secretary of State's office unless they decline, kind of a motor voter 2.0. Um, we maintain the option for voters to vote straight party uh, if they so choose. Um, allow citizens to register to vote anytime with proof of residency. Um, provide uh, all registered voters with access to an absentee ballot, unlike the current system where you need a, an excuse to get it. And finally, we, we mandate uh, an audit of election returns um, so we can make sure that we're, you know, uh, that our elections are accurate and, and that our, and, you know, there's no issues with those elections. Okay, let me ask you one question. In some other states, they have so-called um, mail-in voting and they have... Um, advance voting um, before an election. Uh, I'm not talking about absentee, no reason absentee. I, I understand that concept, I think, uh, but maybe you can elaborate on it a little bit. Do you have that in here? I mean, when can people start voting? So uh, under this proposal, um, if you are a military personnel member uh, serving overseas or, or, or a citizen happens to be overseas at the time of election, you would be uh, able to get your ballot uh, 45 days before the election. And then for those of us who are, are here in state um, or someplace else in the United States who uh, are looking to vote absentee, absentee ballots would have to be available 40 days uh, before the election. So we give uh, courts a little bit extra time to uh, make sure that the overseas ballots are, are processed and, and uh, make sure that's moving forward before uh, the more regular uh, absentee ballots are, are, are moved ahead. So it's not necessarily uh, an, an, um, an early vote process where you see in other states where people actually have centers where they can go in and vote, you know, uh, weeks or days ahead of the election. Um, but giving access to the absentee ballot is something that we've seen uh, just have a lot of support from across the spectrum. Um, you know, the idea that you have to have a reason is something that most people just think is, is silly um, under current circumstances. And, uh, uh, you know, the absentee ballot really would allow people to uh, participate in a, in a time frame that, that works for them a little bit better without having to, um, you know, give a reason. Right. 
So, in other words, you're, you're really uh, encouraging uh, advanced voting through the mechanism of absentee voting, which we already allow, but we don't allow it no reason. I mean, you have to have some kind of an excuse, uh, supposedly illness, or you're out of state, or there's some other problem that you give a local clerk and they say, okay, we believe you, and you get an absentee ballot and you vote. You're, you're going to broaden that, open it up, saying anybody can vote uh, absentee for any reason in advance. But as you say, you're not apparently going to have these kind of advanced voting centers like they have in some other States. I'm just curious, did you all, uh, discuss that and, and, uh, talk about maybe including that in this proposal and decided you didn't want to go there or what? Well, you know what, that was part of a discussion that came, that happened before it came on board, but, you know, certainly, um, early voting centers uh, start to raise all kind of uh, other issues that you have to deal with, with logistics and, and other things like that, unlike the absentee voter system, which is in place. Um, so we're just kind of expanding it. And, you know, uh, you know, clerks around the state do a fantastic job processing the absentee uh, ballots. And so it just seemed uh, for this proposal to be, um, you know, stay within, I think, one of the mandates that the, the group had is, is to make it be, uh, common sense and straightforward was to just stick to the uh, the absentee ballot system. Yeah, and um, by the way, just to get back to how this group or these various different uh, interest groups got together and decided to do this, why did you decide to do this? Was it because the legislature and the governor over a long period of time hadn't done this themselves? They could have done it, but they didn't do it. And you decided, well, if they're not going to do it, we think these are common sense reforms, as you say. So we're going to give the people a chance to vote on whether they want to do it. No, that, that is exactly right. That's absolutely right. Um, if you look at the reforms in here, um, the no reason absentee uh, ballot is a perfect example of something that's been supported by uh, Republican Secretary of State uh, over the years. Um, current uh, Kent County Clerk Lisa Posthumus Lyons, when she was a state rep, uh, passed a no reason absentee ballot uh, bill out of the House, but unfortunately it couldn't get taken up in the Senate. And I think there's just, I think there's frustration across the political spectrum to um, make sure our voting system is accessible for everyone um, and is the best it can be. And so, uh, unfortunately, we, we, we haven't seen the, the legislature or the, uh, the um, executive branch kind of move this ahead, um, even with the support of, of various secretaries of state. So, it seems, uh, unfortunately, the option that had to move forward was uh, go to the ballot. So what do you think these legislators and the governors and whatever were afraid of? Why wouldn't they support what looked to be fairly common sense reforms? Well, I think, unfortunately, what's happened here is, um, you know, people who benefit from the status quo and don't want to see a change, um, you know, uh, were derelict in their duties and kind of, you know, didn't move forward with common sense reforms that their constituents supported. It's a, um, you know, anytime the uh, the people who benefit from the system get to, in the, to a certain extent, control uh, how the system runs, um, they're going to, you know, look out for their own efforts. And certainly there are some people who feel, unfortunately, that, um, you know, having as many people participate in democracy is not the, the best result for them. 
Yeah, voter turnout has always been hotly debated in this country, in this state. How do we get more people to vote? As you know, the vote in the primary on August 7th is going to be very, very low. Uh, we're talking pathetic, uh, like maybe 20% of, of the registered electors are probably going to vote in the primary, one out of five. It's terrible. Have you done any estimates, your group, on how much uh, this might boost voter turnout as a percentage of the electorate if it's enacted, if the voters approve it on November 6th? Well, what we have seen is in places where um, there's no reason to absentee voting, uh, people are allowed to, to register to vote uh, anytime with uh, pr- proper proof of residency. We see their, their turnout rates significantly higher than we've seen in Michigan. So well, I don't have an exact well, what's number. The, but, I mean, is it 5%, you think? 10%? You know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, we, we, hope, we hope for that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we'll have to see how people kind of embrace the system. We just know that other places that have these things in place have a better turnout than we do here in Michigan. Okay, we're going to be right back. A couple of other questions we got to get answered by Odd Hook, who is the campaign director for Promote the Vote. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with more conversation, the last segment here on Promote the Vote, which is a very interesting ballot proposal. If it qualifies, which it looks very likely to do, uh, for the ballot on November 6th, general election, we've got Todd Cook, who is the campaign director for Promote the Vote, and he's been explaining to us exactly how this proposal got off the ground, why it got off the ground, and he's described uh, the provisions in it. Um, Todd Cook, let me just ask you one thing, uh, and this is going to be really confusing to people. One of the provisions provide voters uh, with the option to vote straight party. <laughs> well, now, in Michigan, uh, everybody is thinking, hey, don't we already do that? Uh, <laughs> I think we've done it since the 19th century, for heaven's sakes. Um, and the question is, uh, I want you to explain, and I maybe make some comments too. Uh, why are you writing this into the Constitution? Sure. Well, it's a great question, um, and you're absolutely right. We've we've had straight party voting for more than a century in Michigan, um, and the two times that it has gone uh, to the vote of the people, they've overwhelmingly supported to maintain that right. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've seen attempts in in recent years to. Um, to take away that option for voters by the legislature. So putting in the Constitution allows people to have that option so they can use it if, as they want. They clearly, um, as we've seen in past elections, support it. Um, and then just putting in the Constitution kind of just gets it out of the hands of, uh, of uh, you know, the legislature who may at times want to um, monkey around with a system that, that, that works for the overwhelming majority of voters. Okay, I'm just going to mention here a little context, a little history. Um, Back in, I think it was like 2015-16, the Republican-dominated legislature and the governor passed a law, as Todd just implied, uh, basically barring uh, straight-ticket voting, saying we're not going to have it anymore. Uh, If you want to vote, you've got to go 
uh, in November in the general election and uh, office by office, you've got to go down the ballot and decide uh, whether you're going to vote for a Republican for this office, a Democrat for that office, a Libertarian for another office. You can't just pull a lever or check a box or fill in a circle at the top for one party. We're going to stop that. Well, um, former Democratic State Chairman Mark Brewer filed suit against that, and it is locked up in court right now. And in fact, a judge issued a stay against its being implemented in the 2016 presidential election in Michigan. So we again had straight ticket voting uh, in the election in 2016 for president, as we had had all the time in every election since 1891, if you can believe it. But it is still tied up in court right now as to whether it's going to go ahead this November, whether a new law will go into effect this November that says uh, you can't vote straight ticket. And so basically, uh, uh, Todd Cook, what you're doing is you're just kind of like in running this thing or you're smashing through it. You're saying, let's get this out of the courts. Let's get this out of the legislature deciding whether there should be straight ticket voting or not. We're going to write it right in the Constitution. And yeah. that's what we're going to do on November 6th. And that's the end of the debate right there. Yeah, it just preserves another option for people to use. Um, people are welcome to, would be welcome to use it or, or not uh, as they so choose. But again, I think, you know, making sure that our election system is something that is, um, you know, standard from, you know, moving forward to get people their options and how to vote um, and making sure that we preserve it in the Constitution, which is where we have, uh, you know, the right to vote, as you said, at the beginning of our conversation. Um, you know, it just kind of makes sense to have it there and, and, and allow us to have the best system possible. Well, you say common sense. I mean, is your main objective in having straight ticket voting option available that what it makes it uh, quicker to vote? Is that it? Uh, are you saying it, it, uh, reduces the lines of people, uh, waiting at the polls to vote in the November general election because it takes so much longer for a voter to go down the ballot office by office and vote as opposed to just voting once at the top of the ticket, straight ticket, and getting out of the booth? Yeah, well, obviously, um, you know, one of the, the, the thoughts behind the proposal is the fact that both in 2012 and 2016, Michigan's, you know, saw some of the longest lines in the nation when it comes to voting. And we know, uh, you know, the facts are just when lines are long, people get discouraged, people are are frustrated, they're unable to vote. And, um, you know, we could certainly uh, have an argument about uh, the choices that we have, who to vote for, uh, and how that may lead to frustration among uh, people who are voting. But we shouldn't have a system that turns people away. So making sure that we have a system that's convenient, just as we improve our government system for all kinds of other dealings that people have, whether it's uh, registering their car tags or other things, making those systems uh, work for people, um, and not have the system, uh, people work for the system, just kind of makes sense. And so um, over, you know, about half the people uh, in the state uh, use uh, straight party voting, and that's uh, across the political spectrum. Um, you know, the Ottawa County Clerk is on record, uh, you know, one of the more Republican uh, counties in the, in the state of saying that getting rid of uh, straight party voting is going to be a problem for them. It's not just an issue for you know, places like Flint and Detroit and things like that. So um, certainly that combined with uh, expanding absentee voting uh, opportunities, we think will we'll, we'll hopefully move towards speeding up the process. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, I'm sorry to keep dragging politics into this, Todd, but, you know, uh, isn't it really, when you get right down to it, Republicans have generally discouraged uh, trying to expand the electoral franchise too widely, uh, increasing uh, the number of voters too widely because seemingly they're afraid that the more people vote, the more they're apt to vote for Democrats. And so they try and keep the turnout down, whereas the Democrats' philosophy is uh, we want to get as many people voting as possible because we're convinced that a lot of the people that are discouraged from voting or don't take the time to vote uh, and you know would vote Democratic if they actually turned out to vote or cast absentee uh, ballots to vote. Do you think that's true or not? You know, it's, it's hard to say. I just know that... In a system that depends on participation uh, to be successful and to have uh, a government that's really representative of the folks, we should have a system that encourages and is accessible to the most amount of people. Um, you know, access to an absentee ballot, for example, um, you know, shouldn't be seen as a partisan thing. Um, ensuring that military personnel get their ballots in time um, shouldn't be a, a partisan thing. Nearly a quarter of all overseas ballots end up not being counted, um, and the biggest reason for that is they don't come back in time, and that's a shame. So, you know, certainly I think there will be a, uh, there'll be those who are more cynical. Uh, that's unfortunate, but again, you know, I think the idea that having a system that's accessible for every eligible voice to participate in makes sense. And certainly there's going to be places where, um, you know, conservative turnout's going to boost up. There's going to be places where independent boosts up and and some places where, you know, Democratic uh, turnout's going to boost up. But the great thing about that is, is everyone gets a chance to make sure their voice is heard. Yeah, Todd Cook, isn't there actually some evidence that maybe straight ticket voting actually helped the Republicans in 2016 somewhat unexpectedly? There was a big turnout in rural areas in particular for Donald Trump. And there's a lot of evidence that it swept a lot of Republicans into office on down the ballot who didn't expect to get elected uh, and probably wouldn't have without straight ticket voting. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely there's evidence that would support that viewpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. Let me, let me ask uh, at this point, uh, what are you plan to do between now and November 6th, your group? I mean, you have a budget. Uh, do you expect opposition uh, are you going to do TV advertising? Are you going to be campaigning door to door like the proponents of voters, not uh, politicians? That's the redistricting proposal. If it gets on the ballot, they plan to go door to door. What about that? Sure. Well, that's you know a great question, and we're going to be doing all of that. Um, you know, now that we've turned in our signatures, you know, kind of our focus is changing to engaging voters across the state and having more conversations to educate them, you know, in terms of what's in the proposal. Um, I think, you know, one of the exciting things in my experience has been when we have a chance to talk to people about what's in there. It really does kind of naturally click in people's minds that these are, these are common sense things that, that make sense. And so, you know, running a statewide campaign is a big undertaking. And so we'll be looking to you know, have conversations all across the state uh, with all kinds of voters in different communities to educate them on the process. So when they finally get to the ballot in November, they'll be able to make an informed decision and support, promote the vote. And I would encourage your listeners that uh, in the meantime, they should visit PromoteTheVoteMI.com. There's lots of great information on there, and they can sign up for updates and ways to get involved um, You know, as we move forward on the campaign. In terms of you know, opposition, you know, we'll wait and see. Certainly there, 
um, there may be some groups. We're, we're hopeful that folks will um, really look at the policy behind this and not get caught up in the politics. Okay, um, again, we're talking we'll, to we'll Todd. Forward to moving forward. Yeah, Todd Cook. Listen, thank you very much, campaign director for Promote the Vote. You did a great job explaining this. Really appreciate your being our guest today. Thanks so much for having me on, Bill.